my curiosity is what the relationship is going to be between like a Mihailovich character and a Belskania Galyan. He's a f you know, I mean, the, the elbow he got hit. Honestly, the, the loss of killing was huge. Actually, I did mean to heal it. I did, <laughs> but I did not expect it to go in like that. My favorite player is uh, Seth Fabregas. Uh, I, I love watching him play. I think that if Cristiano dedicated his work and his, his, his time uh, to being a center in a central forward position, he'd be the best in the world, by far. I think like the Alex Morgans and Abby Wambachs of the world just like fall from a tree. So there's this guy who um, named Petr Cech, and he went to a better team. Suarez versus however much, 75 million. I, I think I'd rather have Suarez. To see a USL team beat an MLS team, that really makes uh, makes some noise. I know we would really, really like to do that for the fans and the club. The tackle that was put in on Manich was absolutely horrendous. And I thought that deserved a red card too. I thought Burnley should have went down to uh, 10 players as well, which could have completely changed the outcome of that game. I think the soccer world in Ohio is definitely becoming more relevant and um, definitely in my community at least. I'm seeing a lot more growth and people are really following the crew and definitely got very involved with the um, Men's World Cup. I'm not, I'm not trying to be a Pierce Morgan today, but I feel like Arsenal always regret, you know, Extending Arsene Wenger's I mean, contract. I think it was incredibly unfortunate for for Clarence to be put into this kind of difficult situation and and to to have it end up the way that it did. I, I wish it had played out a little bit better. Di Maria didn't get the job done. Dante, he's been playing well, then not, then better, then not. We're just so used to the the nerves by Juventus players. You know, we have the. We haven't been in the Champions League in a while. I'm the That's girl true. who had the uh, Suarez was here with the bite mark at the shoulder that went viral. Yeah, I mean, we'll be we'll be top six easy. But the question is, like, how big is that gap going to be between four and five? And in the press conference, they were saying that Charlotte was a special city and it's a hotbed of soccer. From Charlotte, North Carolina, in the basement of the UNC Charlotte Student Union, it's 91st Minute Radio. Tonight, we have a very special guest joining us. The man needs no introduction. He's an award-winning blogger and journalist, a presenter for Kick TV and Bleacher Report, a musician, and a fellow Charlottean. Ryan Bailey, out of all the remarkable cities in the United States, how did you come about finding a home in the Queen City? Uh, just because I like the phrase Charlottean, I don't think I've heard that before. That's great. But, uh... <laughs> Uh, basically, my wife got a job out here in Charlotte, and uh, we both loved America for many years and wanted to have an opportunity to live here. And so far, it's been fantastic. We love this city. Charlottean, if you're wondering, we actually did look that up before the show, and the correct term is Charlottean. Um, but, Ryan, you, you've interviewed the likes of Kaká, Fabio Cannavaro, Thierry Henry, and even, even people outside of the footballing world, like the of uh, Eric Clapton. Which interview to you stands out? the most to, me, uh, to you so far? Um, I th in terms of who I was most intimidated by, I'd definitely say uh, Zinedine Zidane. I met him in 2013 at the, uh, in the build-up to the Champions League final, and it's, it's all in his eyes. He's got this terrifying stare, these deep blue pools of eyes he's got. And um, the strange thing was with him is he speaks perfectly good English, but he wouldn't 
respond in English. You'd ask him a question in English, he'd respond in French. It, it just made things very difficult, and it was a very intimidating situation. But uh, uh, on, the, on the flip side of that, uh, when I spoke to Kaká at the World Cup last year, um, he was doing interviews in Spanish and Portuguese all day. And uh, when I showed up, I was one of the last interviews of the day, which is when you don't want to get someone, uh, particularly a sportsman, when they've been doing interviews all day. But he was fantastic, and he did the whole thing in English for me, which was really good. I, you can see Kaka being a very nice guy, actually. Another another person I, I was surprised you didn't say when you said uh, the most intimidating. Also a very nice person I saw on your Instagram. And Dominican Sue, you met him at the World Cup. Yeah, <laughs> he's a big, gentle giant. I mean, yeah, you think of all the stuff he does on the field, and then you meet him off the field. He was incredibly shy. I went to this um, uh, Nike had a... Uh, like a, a space set up in a, a hotel in Rio. And for one day they had Sue there doing some promotional stuff, but he was just sitting on his in the corner on his own being really shy. And you had to sort of go up to him and, and get a conversation going. Lovely, lovely guy. And uh, a very different person to what you'd see uh, stamping on people on the field. <laughs> in short, stamping on people on the field. What did, yeah. you, what did you think of the World Cup? this past summer being down there in brazil the atmosphere everything going on how'd you like it oh i loved it it's the first uh, world cup that i've been lucky enough to attend and i hope there'll be many more after this uh m maybe not in qatar but uh we'll see about that um but it just the atmosphere of being there while the tournament's going on there's nothing quite like it i had it when i was younger euro 96 was held in england while i was there i uh, went to portugal for euro 2004 just the atmosphere when you soak it up is fantastic the thing that surprised me about brazil is i thought the fans would be more passionate you hear so much about brazilian Brazilian soccer and soccer soccer and for it but quite a lot of the time, they were quite subdued. And, you know, they cheered. And when, when a Brazil goal went in, we uh, I was with Yahoo, and we were on the, say, the 30th floor of a tower block. And you could watch the, the city just erupt. And you felt this eruption. You felt the floor shake slightly when they scored a goal. But, you know, in this tournament, they didn't do too much of that scoring goals. They let in quite a few more than they scored. So uh, uh, perhaps a bit more subdued than I expect from the home crowd there. Okay, I, I can see that. Going into, I know it's, it's controversial right now, but the topics surrounding the next two World Cups, Russia, Qatar, what is your uh, opinion on that if the World Cups are actually in those cities and actually if we do go to, do go to Qatar in 2022? Well, I've had a bet going on with uh, one of my colleagues at Beach Report that the Qatar World Cup won't happen. And I, I think I predicted by the end of this year it will be off the books. And obviously my case for that was helped quite a lot by uh, the FIFA tower imploding a few months ago. You made that bet uh, before that? Sorry, go Did ahead. Did you make that bet before all that happened? Yeah, yeah, I made this bet wow. like um, uh, about a year and a half ago, I think. I was just convinced, you know, you look at the, the bid for it, There's the bid was based on cooling technology that didn't exist. And we, we can all see that this was a fatuous situation that shouldn't be happening. And, you know, it's a, it's a sad fact that sports is run by money and maybe people who aren't managing it in the best possible way in the best interests of the game. Um, that's why we see the next two World Cups, one in a, you know, a, a state like Russia, which is, you know, may or may not have used its political and financial influence to get the World Cup there. And Qatar, of course, which we all know is a fabulous soccer nation with millions of passionate fans just waiting for uh, uh, some 120-degree games. <laughs> exactly. They, got, they have the money, though. That is important. And Xavi. Yeah, and they have Xavi, too. So uh, 
They have Chevy, but they have also uh, homophobic uh, laws in place. They have uh, no alcohol, which Viva hates, by the way, because Budweiser are one of their main sponsors. So we'll see how that pans out. I'm still sticking with I don't think it's going to happen. I think, I think we could all agree with you on that, uh, Ryan. Uh, do you have any opinions on the FIFA presidential race coming up and uh, who might be stepping up and taking that role from Seth Blatter? I, I, who knows? Any Basically, the, the, the issue with this is if someone who's already within the FIFA realm takes it over, like uh, Ali Bazin, uh, Bin Hazard, one of the guys who was running for it previously, um, there's a sense that they're still with, involved in the, uh, the organization as it is now. And I'm of the, impression, of the opinion that it needs a clear out. We need a fresh start, someone who's not in FIFA currently. And that's why I like... Um, when people like, like uh, Luis Figo were trying to go for the job. All right, he may not be the perfect guy, but I like the idea of someone who maybe played the game like he has at a very high level, coming in and being fresh to the organization, bringing fresh ideas. A clean slate is what it needs, really. I think Diego Maradona might do a pretty good job of that, too, if, he's, if you're trying to bring out new ideas. No, I said a clean slate. I oh, clean, uh... clean slate, clean slate. I'm sorry. <laughs> Well, I, my hope is that if they do shut that bid down for Qatar, that it comes here to the United States. And we have a few games well, in Charlotte. Yeah, certainly the U.S. would be prepared for it. I think um, Sunil Galati, head of U.S. soccer, did say that the U.S. wouldn't be bidding for any further tournaments until the corruption was um, unearthed and you know taken care of within FIFA. And there have been steps towards that, so perhaps there, that's a possibility, yeah. Well, that's, that's my hope anyway. Now... On to some hot topics from this past weekend. Mm. I'm sure everyone knows what we're going to get into here. Is Diego Costa in your top five dirtiest players in the league at the moment? Yeah, I think he probably takes the top three spots in that top five at the moment. It's, uh, it's a really interesting case. We all know what Costa's like. We knew what he was like at Atletico Madrid. And, you know, I've got a... A specific opinion on him here. I don't mind that he does a bit of this physical stuff. I don't mind if he, you know, maybe hits someone off the ball. That's the kind of stuff, what we'd call back in England, Sunday league stuff, stuff you play at an amateur level with your pub, your bar team. You know, you can get away with that kind of stuff. I'm okay with that. That's kind of almost like a ice hockey mentality. A bit of rough and tumble is okay in my book. What's not okay for me is when Diego Costa tries to get opponents sent off deliberately, when he's waving an imaginary card in the face of the referee, when he's, when he's you know, someone like Gabriel doing something far less damaging to his foot than he did to everybody else that day and trying to get the player sent off. That's what I'm not a fan of. That might be the cheating which um, his colleague Kurt Zuba was referring to uh, when he uh, made that very interesting comment earlier today. Yeah, I would have liked to, when I saw that article, I was thinking, you know, maybe Kurt Zuma doesn't really speak English, but he speaks very well English. I mean, he's, yep. very, he's very profound in his words. So it just doesn't look good from, from Kurt, for David Costa's teammate, Zuma, to use cheat in his post-game interview. But I guess he, he really had a lack of words, and that's all there is to describe him. Well, generally, I'd say even if your colleague was a cheat, it's not good form for you to say in public that he is. I mean, otherwise, every one of Luis Suarez's teammates would be saying it all the time, and, uh, you know, that would, that would be trouble. No, Luis, Luis Suarez doesn't cheat, does he? Oh, really? Have you seen him play? <laughs> <laughs> I know you were, up, you were very up close to, to his recent scandal down there in Brazil, so that must have been very exciting. 
I, I, I class biting people and uh, falling on the floor every five minutes as uh, a form of cheating in my book. If Diego's in your top three, who are your other top two players? Oh, that's a good question. In the Premier League? Uh, or any league. Any or league. any league. Or someone like uh, Lee Catamol, uh, obviously. He, I think he's got a crazy amount of red cards. In La Liga, the champion of the dirty play has to be Sergio Ramos. I think it's 20. It's either 19 or 21 red cards he's got now. Um, that's pretty insane. Uh, who else have we got? Athletic, Athletic, Atletico Bill? No. No, I, I think that's my top three. Lee Catamol and, and Sergio Ramos? Yeah, I'd throw them in there. I'm trying to think of strikers who are quite... I gotta throw an honorable well. mention for Joey Barton in there too. Yeah, that's possible. Not sure Joey Barton's got a club right now, but uh, <laughs> if he did, he'd be yeah. <laughs> Let's just rewind a couple of years, then we'll throw him in there. <laughs> sure. So, with that being said, if Sergio Ramos was to come to the Premier League this past summer, all the dirtiest players that you just mentioned would have been, or will be, would have yeah would have been in the Premier League, and one yeah. of them being Sergio Ramos at Manchester United. We were talking about money earlier, and you mentioned how the game right now really revolves around the Euros and the Pounds. Well, what do you think of this guy, Anthony Martial, who Manchester United brought in for quite a big fee? And when they signed him, a lot of people, a lot of fans, a lot of supporters weren't sure if he was really worth the money because 36 million pounds, that's a lot of dough. He's really came out and played well so far. Three goals, two games for the Red Devils? Yeah, so far so good. I mean, I was one of the first to scoff at this deal when uh, when it came out. Some reports in France are saying it's a lot, I figure, a lot higher than that 36 million. Some some saying it's up to 80 million with all the add-ons and stuff that go in. 80 million euros, I should say. Um, and this is a guy who I think the statistic was before he joined Manchester United, he played eight full 90-minute games. So a, a, a teenager who played eight games being worth that much money is quite insane. But as you say, it's kind of proved everybody wrong so far. Had some pretty good, had a very good debut, scored that excellent goal against Liverpool and uh, has banged in a few more since then. So I don't know, in the current market, who are we to say what's good or bad value? It feels like the bubble is getting closer and closer to bursting in this Premier League. But hey, he's, he's scoring goals. And what more can you ask for? And he's playing really well for someone whose mom still drives him training every day yeah <laughs> do you that's very it's, it's it's shocking how um you know we all suspected that someone like martial coming from a, a foreign league would take time to bed in particularly with his uh his, his uh, mum driving him in as you say his, his young age but uh it, it's very surprising how quickly it's like a duck to water he's taken mm-hmm. to this league so far so what's going to be the interesting thing is is whether he sustains this, whether he can keep this going for the season for a couple of seasons and becomes the megastar who is worth more money than Zinedine Zidane went to Real Madrid for. Well, that brings up my question, Ryan, for you. Uh, Someone with, I think Gary Neville said 15 goals in 70 games and all of a sudden he needs to turn into a one-and-two striker. Can you you realistically expect a 19-year-old to maintain this kind of consistency, scoring a goal every other game or something like that? and just continuing to do what this well for a team like Manchester United? I don't think you can expect that. I'm not saying it's not possible. So far, that kind of record's being up, upheld. But I think that's particularly difficult in the Premier League too. You know, you, you look at the comparisons of the Premier League and say La Liga, where you have Barcelona and Real Madrid winning games 5-6-0 and six nil every week, Leo Messi and Ronaldo getting a couple of goals each time. 
they wouldn't be doing that in the Premier League. It's you know it's got more parity within the league, harder to score goals, I would suggest. And for Martial to be getting three already is fantastic. Absolutely, and it's it's coming a season where there really hasn't been that many stars showing up. Alexis hasn't scored yet. Harry Kane hasn't scored yet. Aguero with one. Hazard with one. Before the season started, and all these we saw all these signings come to the likes of Newcastle, Leicester, Crystal Palace. Mm. We all thought this might have been the most exciting season of the year, but honestly to us, it, it, it seemed a little disappointing so far. Uh, can you give us your opinion on the year so far? Well, I'd say it's got, there's been a lot of surprises. There's been a few disappointments, a lot of surprises, which indicate the overall strength of the league, which I was referring to earlier. This big bumper TV deal that's given teams like Crystal Palace the ability to buy Yoan Kabai, teams like Swansea buying Andre Ayew, bringing him over from League One, they wouldn't have been able to do those kind of deals before this money was brought in. And I, I, I like the way it's improved the overall quality of the league. And one of the big surprises, for example, is Leicester. Uh, top scorer in the league at the moment, Riyad Mahrez, and he's got five goals at the moment. Uh, this is the, he's not... He's not an Eden Hazard, he's not an Aguero, someone you'd expect to be high on that score sheet. So if, 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 you're, if you're into that, uh, you know, if you like a bit of uh, the un- cheering for the underdog like I do, I like to see the uh, players like that doing well. And I like seeing this strength across the board. For me, I think it's been a pretty interesting season so far. We've seen some upset results. We've seen uh, a bit of drama. We've seen teams like West Ham, who are terrible at home, can't defend for Toffee at home, then they go and beat Man City and Arsenal and Liverpool on the road. I think it's been quite exciting so far, but maybe not if you're looking for that uh, megastar to hit 30 goals in the season. Well, I'll tell you why I'm disappointed, is because those five players that Thomas mentioned are killing my fantasy team. Mm-hmm. Completely ruining it. <laughs> Absolutely. You weren't one of the lucky ones who put Mares in the team as a punt. No, no, I was one of those guys that spent half of my money on the five best players in the league who have scored three goals combined at the moment. There you go. Well, well, I actually am um, I'm in a draft Premier League, which is really good. I've never done one before. I've only done the traditional salary cap ones. But this year I've done a draft. And um, it's interesting because by sort of the second or third round, all the really big names are gone. And it gets really hard to pick the good names. But uh, I've I managed to get people like uh, Payet at West Ham, who's done really, really well. Took a few other punts that didn't work out so well at the moment, like um, Rolando Ahrens at Newcastle. He was tipped to be like the next amazing thing. Hasn't done a thing. I got in Firmino uh, of Liverpool. That, they probably spent far too much money getting him in. He hasn't really done anything yet. Someone I avoided, who a lot of people have gone for, Memphis Depay. I'm not sold on him yet. I'm not sure if he's going to be the next Ronaldo they're looking for. Unfortunately, I'm a huge fan of Memphis Depay. I, I, to be fair, I don't think he's going to be the next Ronaldo. I think that he has, I think he has a lot of similar qualities. That's when, I, whenever I say a Ronaldo style or Ronaldo position, that's what I mean because he he plays on the left hand side, he cuts inside, and he's dynamite on free kicks. So I mean, he he is a great player, and he's, you know, top scoring there to visit is no mean feat. But I do think it will take some time for him to adjust to the Premier League as a 21 year old. Yeah, the difficult thing is we've seen so many players come from the Eredivisie who are brilliant in that league, not so hot when they come to the Premier League. Two examples come to mind, Josie Altador being top scorer with Altmar, then coming over and doing absolutely nothing with Sunderland. And uh, Ricky van Volswinkel came over as well and didn't really have the impact uh, one would have hoped he would have at Norwich. Of course, there are players who come over are very good, like Luis Suarez, but it doesn't always work out that way. I'm wondering 
the Memphis Depay isn't going to totally adjust because the best performances we've seen from him so far are against his old team and against Club Bruges, who are a, a much lower quality team than anything else in the Premier League. So we'll see. The other side of Manchester now, Manchester City bringing in the likes of Raheem Sterling, Nicholas Otamendi, Thomas's favorite, Kevin De Bruyne. This is, we'll talk about this in a sec. <laughs> Do you think that they run away with the title this year with the way Chelsea's playing at the moment? It's, I think it's quite early to give that kind of prediction. But, you know, up until the weekend, they had a, up until this week, I should say, they had a 100% record, but then they went and lost to a Juventus team who've done nothing in Serie A so far. And then West Ham, who, as I said earlier, keep winning all these away games against massive sides. But they're playing really well. I think they've made some great purchases. I think Sterling is an excellent buy. De Bruyne, he was fantastic at the weekend. I think he's, uh, I, I agree with uh, Thomas there, he's a great purchase for them. Um, it's hard to see someone like Chelsea challenging them for the title. I don't see Arsenal challenging them right now. Probably not Manchester United. They're not quite in gear yet. So they are probably my tip to be the Premier League champion so far. But I wouldn't put my house on it right now because who knows? Maybe this is Chelsea picking up right now and City going on a downward curve. We don't know how it's going to shape out. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting year for, uh, for both teams, to say the least. Uh, I'm with you on the De Bruyne. I thought he was the best player by far against West Ham. Scored a nice goal, and scoring your goal in the first game always gives you confidence to play better. Me and Jared have – Jared and I have, have – we have had a very intense argument between, uh, between the two of us on De Bruyne. I think personally that Chelsea dropped the ball on De Bruyne. He says that Chelsea has not dropped the ball on De Bruyne at all. And so I want to get your opinion on this. Do you think Chelsea could have done better with him or no? In terms of letting him go? Yes. Well, yeah, I, I think that we see Jose Mourinho has a history of mismanaging midfielders and attacking midfielders. You can go back as far as Kakar at um, Real Madrid called it, sort of almost uh, pushed him out of the side entirely. And people like Mohamed Salah, you said he could one, one might think he could have done better rather than being sent out on loan. I, I'm not sure... I, I, obviously, I think that De Bruyne is a quality player, but whether he would fit in Mourinho's system, I'm of the opinion that Mourinho probably knows better than you or I. So I would agree with that. We could we could say that we could say that De Bruyne is a really great player and would have fit in with Chelsea. But at the end of the day, Mourinho tends to be proven right with things on the, in the long term with these kind of things. I'm thinking, for example, about getting Iker Casillas as number one at Real Madrid, uh, or moving him out of the number one spot. Um, that was generally proved right. He was a bit ahead of his time with that, I'd say. So, uh, I, what was, you know, I, I wouldn't go against a, a Mourinho decision necessarily, apart from if it's something being said in a press conference, which, you know. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, always entertaining, of course. What, um, where do you see De Bruyne fitting in at Man City? I don't think he's going to play the number 10 spot over David Silva. So really the only option is to play on the right. I also have a theory that he could play a little deeper and drop in with Yaya Torre, but it's really a jigsaw puzzle with them. They've got a lot of number 10s. I think Sterling and Navas are really the only main wide players. So where do you see De Bruyne fitting in with this team? Yeah, I see probably Sterling on one flank and, um, uh, and De Bruyne on the other, you guess. I think... Judging, Jesus Navas didn't have a good show against West Ham at all, did he? It was quite poor indeed. And uh, one would think his days are numbered if, if the decision was to put De Bruyne out there, yeah. Yeah, it, it's interesting. My, just trying to get my take on this, um, my argument against Thomas on why Chelsea didn't drop the ball is because at the time when they sold De Bruyne, Mourinho was a big fan of Oscar. He still had two-time player of the year, Juan Mata. 
and De Bruyne didn't want to go out on loan again. So, I mean, with those two players in front of him, I think the only solution was to let him go and get what you could for him. And obviously now he's shined at Wolfsburg, and Manchester City have picked him up for a big fee. Right, yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's a, an interesting problem to have when you're Chelsea manager, having an embarrassment of riches of midfield players. And they did have a, a lot at that point, and they still do, and they've got plenty out on loan. So, yeah, it's, it, we, we can probably argue about this all day, about whether he should have, should or should not have been sold. But what we know is that he was very good at Wolfsburg, and he's very good at Man City now. And I think it's something like his, his fee going to Man City was about four times what it was going to Wolfsburg. So mm-hmm. what, what can you say about that? I want to get your take on the Champions League now, and notably the Premier League teams in the Champions League. One team who has a big matchup coming up, who has struggled thus far, Manchester United. They take on Wolfsburg in two weeks' time. Lost their first game. Do you see Manchester United getting out of the group after they've spent so much money this summer really to focus on the Champions League? It's a good question, and once again, I hasten to say it's quite early to say these kind of things, but what we do know is that sometimes when teams aren't doing as well in the league, they can do well in the Champions League. I'm thinking of Chelsea as an example, finishing sixth in the season Mm -hmm. when they won the thing, and... Man, I'd say Man United have got a pretty decent group. We know they've got the edge over PSV. Uh, it'll be interesting matchup against Wolfsburg. They'll definitely have an uh, edge over Seska Moscow. They won't have the same troubles that Man City had against them, you wouldn't imagine. I, I could see them going, you know, last 16, certainly. Whether it's any further than that, we shall see. But we know that Louis van Gaal is a good tournament manager. We saw that as uh, recently as the World Cup. So, well... We shall see. We shall see if this is a team that's built for European competition. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I can see definitely Man United probably even topping the group. But when they start facing the big boys, it depends. If they get a Bayern Munich or a Barcelona at the round of 16, then then they're toast. So it, it really does depend on the draw as well. Absolutely. It always does. You know, with Man City get Barcelona last year, it was really tough for them to get really any sort of result. One one loss that I think Manchester experienced that was huge, the loss of Luke Shaw. He's been fantastic so far, but broke his leg in two places against PSV. Personally, I'm, I'm a fan of Daly Blend, but I really don't see him being the answer or Marcus Rojo. What do you think that Louis Van Hal is going to do with the left-back position for the rest of this year until Luke Shaw can come back? Yeah, big shame about Luke Shaw. I'm not sure what he's going to do. If I was him, I'd probably go with Rojo. We saw him playing that fullback position uh, in the World Cup, and I thought he was great at that. He was really pushing up loads and putting in the crosses um, at the World Cup. Um, But we know that he's been looking at um, Charlie Taylor, who plays at Leeds, scored a fantastic goal at the weekend, pushing up as a fullback, and that's the kind of player that Man United want. You know, the the old Trafford mantra, uh, for decades has been attack, attack, attack. They expect attacking football at home. And also, when other teams are counter-attacking away, they expect attacking football whenever they go. So a fullback who pushes up like that is the kind of player they want. So I could see them certainly dipping in in January, maybe taking a punt on someone like Taylor. If not, I, 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 I would probably go Rojo. Yeah, I would agree with you. Rojo is probably the best option. If they can't bring in you know, a world-class or a decent outside back in January. I know the the world right now is lacking strong, world-class, left-back, right-backs, and it's really what Manchester United needs, a team of their caliber. 
Before... Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what I feel like is lacking at the moment. Just looking, um, we're talking about fantasy leagues earlier. Strikers. There seems to that be a too. dearth of strikers. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think one of the reasons is because so many teams play one up top. So you don't have two, two players to pick from for most teams. So I, I, I wonder if that's a, a, um, a trend that we'll see continue in the next few seasons. Yeah, I think this has been the year of the winger so far, personally. Mm. Yeah, it's not like... Two years ago, Luis Suarez completely owned the Premier League on his own. And Sturridge. Yeah, and Sturridge. That was a two-striker system. So, Before I let you go, Ryan, I want to ask you, what did you think of the CIA Chelsea Paris Saint-Germain in Charlotte? Uh, I thought it was a great occasion. I very much enjoyed seeing Chelsea come through. I, I was quite puzzled to see that Chelsea flew in from New York uh, like a couple of hours before the game and then flew straight out again. Not sure that's ideal preparation. Perhaps a reason why they didn't win the game. Um, and it was typical sort of friendly friendly affair where you saw the no one going 100% into challenges and a slightly slower pace. But I thought it was great. I thought the, the crowd were great. Did, did you guys go along to it? Yes, we were there. Yeah, what did you guys think? I thought it was a, I thought it was a pretty nice day. It was fantastic. I love seeing, uh, love seeing penalties. Personally, I'm a goalkeeper, but um, I love seeing Courtois make that penalty right at the end. I, I don't think I've ever seen a p better penalty in my life. Wow! Yeah, it was pretty good. I think by by that stage, so I had the issue where um, I'd got a lot of tickets for other people, and they were giving me like thank you beers, and uh, I had too many thank you beers to uh, properly concentrate on the shootout. At the such end. A, such a gracious host. Oh, I try. I try. It was nice seeing Zlatan, though, in our own city. That was pretty cool. Yeah, that was great. And I think it's a really good stadium for soccer as well. The, I think the previous week I went to see Mexico and uh, Trinidad and Tobago play a game, and that was packed out for that too. You can see that Charlotte is a city that does love the game. You can see how many soccer bars there are, you know, uptown and uh, even going further out. I think, you know, um, the, the pop and how good the Charlotte Independents have been this season as well. It's definitely a city that loves its soccer, Maybe MLS will recognize that in the next few years. Were you out to a Charlotte Independence game this year? I have only managed to go to one. I went to one uh, down at, um, uh, by Rock Hill, the college. Win uh, Winthrop? Yeah, what it's called. Winthrop, right? Yeah, Winthrop. Winthrop, that's right. Yeah, I went to one down there, and it was a really good game. I was, I was really surprised by the quality. I was expecting you know, a slightly slower pace than I saw, and it was quite uh, technically impressive. Playing on real grass as well, that was nice to see. Yeah, that, that, I've, I've enjoyed that, and it's a heartbreak that they came up short in the playoff push this season. Right, but I think still, you know, hands down to them for the first season, very impressive. No, I, I totally agree, and for, for Charlotte, it's great. You know, we've heard the MLS talks already, and that's a dream come true if, if they can pull in an MLS team. Yeah. Well, not um, a few years ago, I was speaking to someone at MLS fairly high up, and they were, they were convinced that there will be an MLS team in this region within the next five years. And this was about two years ago I had this conversation. Whether that team has become the Atlanta team that's going to be coming or not, or whether there's going to be a Carolinas team, we shall see. But there's certainly, I'd say, a hunger for it in Charlotte, in somewhere, you know, in Raleigh as well, maybe down even, even Charleston. You know, they have the battery down there, who do very well too. Yeah, it's just a matter of bringing in fans. And personally, I think Charlotte's the best spot for it. I mean, we see tons of fans out to the Hornets games. The Knights do extremely well. Obviously, there's tremendous amount of Panthers fans here. So why not a Charlotte FC or Carolina FC if you want to represent all the Carolinas? I think it'd be great. 
The Charlatans. There we go. <laughs> FC Charlatans. We'll have to send that one in. Last question I have for you, Ryan. Your favorite team, Wimbledon. In what year do they make it back to the Premier League? Let's see. They're in the League 2, so one promotion a year. Three years' time? No, uh, I, I'm joking. Um, I... It's... it's uh, hmm. We, we were in the Premier League, we, we um, went up to the top flight in 1987, and we're in it until 2000, and this was really unprecedented, a tiny little team with a very small budget, it's kind of the equivalent of Ibar in La Liga, you know, having a 5,000-seater stadium and being a small team, that's kind of the story of Wimbledon as well, um, and it's it'll be difficult for a team of that stature to make its way all the way up without a sugar daddy investor or, you know, uh, some petrodollars or a, a Russian oligarch, in my opinion. Uh, Wimbledon is a fan-run club. I'm actually a part owner of the team. So are thousands of other fans. And that model is great when you're a supporter because you have a lot of influence over the team. We, I get to vote in AGMs and make a difference. Whether that model is sustainable to get to the Premier League these days is another question. But who knows? I'll say never say never. Let's say 10 years. <laughs> Call up Marcus Mumford. Have him deposit some big bucks into the club. Yeah, Mumford's got to have some cash to uh, put away as an anonymous donor, I'd say. <laughs> well, that's all I got for you, Ryan. I want to thank you for spending this afternoon with us and, and coming on the show. It was great having you. I mean, there's so much more we go into. Your relationship with Sam Ty. What do you think of his haircut, real quick? Oh, what don't I think of his haircut? <laughs> oh. Fabulous, isn't it? It really is. Best in the best in the biz. <laughs> yeah, he'll, he'll he'll love you saying that. He's he's like six foot four tall, but I think about four of that is the hair. Wow. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Ryan. It's great having you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, boys. Thank you for tuning in tonight. You can find Ryan on social media on Instagram at Ryan J Bailey. That's Ryan J as in J A Y Bailey. And on Twitter at the same handle. Also, be sure to head over to YouTube and check out Kick TV for Ryan's top five list and his videos on the Bleacher Report Team Stream app, a must have for all Premier League fans. Thank you once again, Ryan, for joining us tonight and everyone for listening. Have a good night, guys.